Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Back in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, the idea that Paul is trying to get across here is that the wisdom that we have, which is God's wisdom, has as a source God, which enables us to have his wisdom to think like him. Um, it's because it's the Holy Spirit that gives us that. God's revealed them to us, verse 10, through his spirit. <coughs> For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may know the things that have been given, freely given to us by God. Okay, here's what he's trying to get at. Can I know what you're thinking? Why not? Well, I'm not God, but in this context, why can I not know what you're thinking? Because I'm not you, right? Now, do you know what you're thinking? Well, most of the time, you know. <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> Paul's trying to make a statement here saying, I don't know what other people are thinking. I know what I'm thinking. Why? Because the spirit, my spirit, me, the real me, knows what I'm thinking. All right? That's how I know what is in me because I know what I'm thinking. How do I know what God's thinking? Well, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, could I know what God's thinking? No. How do I know what God's thinking? Because I have the Holy Spirit who enables me to think. You know, when, you know, just in the past few years, it's really sunk into my thick skull. Um, all godliness is, all, all being a Christian is, is learning to think like God thinks. Right? I mean, that's all it is. Is You know, it sounds easy. You know, all you need to do to shoot 18 on a golf course is get a hole-in-one on every hole. You know, what's the problem, right? What's so tough? Just hit the ball, you know? It's got to... You know, the whole point is being godly is learning to think like God thinks. Well, how can you learn to think like God thinks? It's the Holy Spirit who enables me to think like God thinks, to gives me a biblical perspective. And one of the things I found myself doing a lot in the past few years here is in my prayers, I've asked God to give me his perspective on things. Now, can I fully get his perspective? No, because I'm finite, he's infinite. So there's no way I'm going to fully comprehend his mind. But can I get there a little bit? Can I... Can I view the world like God views the world to some extent? Of course I can. How? The Spirit gives me the ability to see things like God sees things. Right? And when I see things like God sees things, how am I going to act? Like He would act, right? And isn't that all of what the spiritual life is all about? The spiritual life is not about rules and regulations. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about rituals that you go through or rites. It's a relationship with the living God, of falling in love with God and thinking like Him and having His heart. And if I get to the point where I think like Him and have His heart and love Him, I don't need a rule or a regulation, do I? Because I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to think like he thinks. And Paul is saying, how is it that I am able as a Christian to get close to thinking like God thinks? It's the power of the Holy Spirit who enables me to view reality the way God views reality. How did Christ win? He lost from the world's perspective. 
And one of the things that we need to get as believers, we're not supposed to think like the world. We're not supposed to. If you, if you think like the world, you're not thinking like God, are you? If you're a friend of the world, you're the enemy of God. Don't think. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And you notice that all of the things the world values, what does the world value? What does the world value? Like what? Money, wealth, power, fame, right? Looks. What does God value? Character. I mean, now, now, you know, just an example. Just, just look at, uh, look at the Miss America pageant winner, whatever's. What's the lady there? The one that won it. Miss America. Um, what's her name? You know, the one that was drunk or whatever. All drinking and had to go into detox and all of that stuff. You know, here's a here's a gal who, from the world's perspective, yeah, is is you know is is the example, right? And look at her life. Yeah, look at her life. It's a total wreck. Yeah, look at a uh, look at uh, what Britney Spears. From the world's perspective, you know, beautiful, top, gorgeous. From the moral perspective, she's a wreck. You know, what the world. You know, look 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 at the things that the world values. We do not value. I mean, I love watching CSI. I, I, I told you, if I didn't have to work for a living, I'd like to be a CSI. To me, that's just interesting to solve crimes, you know, and all of that stuff. It's just fascinating how they do that. But, you know, you look at, you know, CSI Las Vegas and the people that go to Las Vegas and what they value there, and it's like, that's, that's probably the last place on earth I'd want to go, you know? You can go to Las Vegas. You can go to Antarctica. Where would you like to go? I'll take Antarctica. You know, the penguins are much better than, you know. The whole point is, what is there? What What is Las Vegas built around? Greed. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So why as a Christian would you want to go there? Sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. You, you, you probably take a trip there every other day. You know, I don't know. Well, my luck, you go there. You know, she probably says, "I'm going to go there and win my my uh, tuition for the semester." You know, I'm I'm joking, I'm kidding. But uh, how about the Wayne Yeah, she went. The whole the whole thing is when 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 you you know when I, when I when I watch that, and when you, when you see what the world chases after, that's not what we're after. That's not what is of eternal value. What's a profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Nothing. You want to be a millionaire? You want to yes. say, I'm... there's always a carnal one in the bunch. We'll pray for you. All right. Now, I'm joking. I'm joking. I, I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is you want to be a millionaire apart from God. You want wealth apart. We don't value that. Why? Because God has given us a different set of values, a different set of priorities. We're looking not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, right? Because the things that are seen, what are they? Temporal. The nicest car you get will someday be a piece of junk. Some of them are faster than others, right? Um. You know, that beautiful house someday is going to be a, you know, pile of rotting timbers. I mean, the best doesn't last. God is saying, we have the things that God has given us. What kind of things? The eternal things, the truly valuable things, the things that are of eternal value. And we don't have the values of the world. And if we have the values of the world, somehow we're missing 
as Christians, we're missing something. We're missing it. Yeah, no matter what, what's it, man? What I can, they're never satisfied if you get it and then it's not long after they talk about something else. Yeah, what I can't understand it is, you know, why, why do all the rich people, they, they become drug addicts? If I had all that money, I wouldn't be, you know, shooting up heroin or whatever it is that they do. Why is that? Well, you know, what is the world wisdom? What is it? It doesn't mean anything. Look, folks, God's given us the wisdom. These things we speak, verse 13, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the holy teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual we're at a whole different level. We're a whole different playing field in the world. We learn the things that are spiritual, the things that are of eternal value, the things that are truly important, the way things really are. Why is that? Well, verse 14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. What's the natural man? What is that? The unsaved, the unredeemed. And why can't they understand it? They don't have the ability. And why don't they have the ability? The spirit. Yeah, I, I got to write, you know, I got to throw out a word now and then just so you go and make people think you've been to class and learn something, you know. Um, and it's called the noetic effect of sin. I've Pulled this right before. Noetic. Noetic effect of sin. What is the noetic effect of sin? When we say that, what are we talking about? Well, noetic comes from the word noose, which is mind. Okay? Mind. What's it saying? Sin has affected your mind, your thinking. What has sin done? Sin has destroyed our ability as humans to think right. We can't think right. You want to look at Jerry Springer. The guy can't think right. Original sin. When you're born, apart from the Holy Spirit, you can't think right. Now, now understand what we mean by that. We don't mean that you can't make choices, right? Can you make choices? Can, can unsaved people make choices? But what kind of choices do they make? Wrong ones. Or they say, this is bad one, bad two, bad three. And they can pick one of the baddest choices, but they can never pick the good one, right? Because they don't, understand, they don't know the good one is even there. That's something to understand. They don't even know what it is. It's, it's beyond their ability to think why the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because it is foolishness to him. It's not even part of his decisions, the set of possible decisions he can make. Yeah, what about people that draw up their Well, if I bring if I bring an average pagan in here, pick one off the street, any one of them, and give them a moral decision, what moral decision will they make? They'll make the wrong one. Now, let's say they make, you know, say, okay, you can either choose to commit adultery or not commit adultery. And they say, well, I choose not to commit adultery. You say, oh, they made the right decision. Did they? Yeah, well, if I do that, my wife will kill me. So no way I'm going to, you know. There's always a selfish. Here's the point. The point is the natural person will never make the right decision for the right reason. 
see the difference? They might they might make you know a a, a good choice in the sense that they. Do I kill someone or do I not kill someone? I won't kill them. Okay, that's a good choice. But why did they make that good choice? Well, I don't want to get caught. I don't want to go to prison. There's always a selfish motive behind it. And that's what the Bible says, that the natural man, like, like it says in Romans chapter 8, the carnal man cannot please God. He can't do it. There's nothing in the world any pagan will ever do to please God. Why? It's not within their ability to do that. To their advantage. But why do they use it? Why do they want to why do they want to use godly biblical principles of leadership? Yeah, so I can get ahead, make more money, right? It's always a selfish the point the, the thing is to make as believers you are now able to make the right decision for the right reason. Prior to becoming a believer, you couldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, something like that. Right. <laughs> but you could. Is that because um, I'm not in touch with the Holy Spirit or I'm not completely filled? All of the above. <laughs> it could be both. It could be both. I mean, I got to admit, you know, do I, is every decision I make the right one? Nope. Right? When that lady cuts me off and I have a decide, decision, either yell at her or not yell at her, sometimes I yell at her, you know? I mean, because why? Because we all lug around the flesh, don't we? That lady that cuts me off on the... Because usually the ladies are the one that do the cutting off. I don't think so. Yeah. But 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 as Christians, we have, and that's that's what Romans eight is trying to get at. If you're in the flesh, you cannot please God. Period. Nothing you do is going to make God please God, because you will not have the inclination to do it, or your motive will be wrong. And even as Christians, are our motives always pure necessarily? No, we struggle with that, don't we? But what do we have now as a believer? What do we have the ability now to do? We can do the right thing for the right reason with the right motive. Because you're in the flesh. Yeah. We're in the flesh. And that's the thing that, that's our constant struggle. That's Paul's struggle in Romans 7, right? The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Why? Because I'm fleshy. I have a weakness within me. What is that weakness? It's my own corruption, my own flesh. Now, God did not kill the flesh, did he? Yet. Someday you'll get rid of the flesh. Someday, when you're in heaven, this is the great beauty about heaven. When you're in heaven, you won't be able to sin. When you get to heaven, you won't be able to sin. Well, let's say you got to heaven and you were able to sin. How long would it take to empty it out? Yeah. Not long, right? Pretty soon God will be there all by himself. You know? Yeah, you got to do that. The point is, we, we can now. Because the Spirit gives us the un insight and understanding. That's why what the Holy Spirit does is he reverses the noetic effect of sin. When, when, when Adam and Eve fell, their minds were darkened. Paul says that in Romans in Ephesians 4, right? The people are unbelievers. Their minds are darkened. They're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now, how, how much more graphic can you get? They're blind. They're ignorant. They can't make the right choice. They can't make the right decision for the right reason. That option is not open to them. They don't even, they're not even aware that such options exist. Does it, you understand what that means? Okay. How can I say it? And, and they're looking at the way they're coming out. It, it looks like they're all right. Mm -hmm. And why? It seems like they're on top. They have, they, they have nice cars. And they have nice well, I'll read, uh, read Psalm 73. David says, you know, I was confused because 
you know, I'm sitting there watching, you know, the wicked, you know, they got everything going for them. They got the health, they got the money, they got the nice chariots. And um, the godly are taking it in the neck. And I didn't understand what's happened until I went to the house of the Lord and understood their end. See, that brings the perspective, right? Psalm 73, just read it. David said, when I went to the house, then I understood their end. I understood what was happening. He saw the eternal perspective. I often use the expression, if somebody's saying here, Alan, I'll take you out to dinner. You'll go anywhere you want. You know what I would not consider going to eat? Seafood. I don't like seafood. Now, am I able to eat seafood physically? Well, sure. But why do I not choose seafood? It's not within my the realm of the choices I would make as far as things to eat. You know, along with things like, you know, grass and, you know, raw fish and other things, you know. Now, there are people that eat that. You know, you go to Guangzhou, they'll eat anything in Guangzhou. That's what I'm told. We have a moan over there that has a plant in Guangzhou. And we had a guy, he says, they will eat anything. He went into a restaurant and he heard some cage or something fall over. And all of a sudden, all these rats came running out of the back. I'm not making it up. That's what they eat. They don't eat anything. If it's carbon-based and edible, it's gone, you know. Um, now, but me, I would never consider that, right? So the unbeliever. The unbeliever will not consider the right decision for the right reason because it's the carnal mind, the natural mind, the fallen mind can't understand it. They can't see it. It makes no sense at all to them. Because why? They don't have the spirit. The natural man cannot, does not receive the things of the spirit of God. They're foolish to them. He can't even know them. Because they're spiritually discerned. So the next time you see some guy on TV spouting nonsense, understand this. He doesn't know any better. He doesn't know any better. Or she doesn't know any better. Whichever. Because their natural mind. But what do we have here, it says? We have, he who spiritually judges all things, yet he isn't rightly judged by no one. For who is known the mind of the Lord that me instruct him? The answer is no one. But we have the mind of Christ. How do we know what God is thinking? We have the mind of Christ. We're able to see things correctly and understand things correctly. Not because of us, right? Notice here, it doesn't say, you you know, God's uh, regenerated your mind to make you think right. He's given you the mind of Christ. He's given you a new mind, a new ability to think and to reason. You know, it's, look at sin. You know, if you remember here when you were pagans, did you feel bad about sinning? Usually felt good, right? Yeah. You didn't think anything of it. Now that you're a Christian, what do you feel about sinning? You have the mind of Christ. Yeah. And what amazes me is sometimes I ask, you know, do Christians have a fear of God anymore? I see Christians, supposed Christians, committing all kinds of sin. I say, aren't they afraid of God? Maybe they're not Christians. I don't know. But the Bible here says there, 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 there's the natural man that is darkened, that cannot see things, that cannot understand spiritual truth. Therefore, when you proclaim the gospel, you're proclaiming it to a dead mind that can't think. So why do we do it? Because God ordained that we are to proclaim because what does he use? He uses that word to open their eyes so that they can see spiritual truth. That is a mystery of God, isn't it? And therefore, if that person is dead, is there anything you're going to do to manipulate them into becoming alive? No. Nope. It doesn't work. 
And that's why this whole, you know, the, when we talk about the, you know, the, the crusadism and things like that, all the manipulation in the world will not bring a person who is spiritually dead to life unless God opens their heart and gives them understanding and the faith to believe. Yeah, that's, it, it, it's scary to me. It means nothing to them. It means absolutely nothing. See, one of the things, and this, this, you know, I'm belaboring this a little bit. I apologize, but one of the things we need, we need to really get a handle on when it comes to our, our witnessing and our you know, telling the preaching the gospel and that. We really need to understand and get it embedded firmly in our brains. It is not us that does it as God, because if it is us, we would become very depressed, wouldn't we? Right. I mean, you just like you're beating your head against the wall. And 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 those of us who believe sometimes say, why can't you see it? You know, there's a part of us that says, Duh! And and we really need we really need to come back to a theological understanding of the deadness of the unregenerate heart and the need that that God can open the heart that, and we won't become discouraged because they don't hear but we won't become discouraged in the sense that we're thinking you know if I could just say it a different way if I could just do something differently maybe maybe they would believe you know we we, we it, it's easy to do that as a pastor it'd be. You know, the easiest thing as a pastor becomes so discouraged because you stand up there, you preach week after week after week, and nobody, it, you know, it's like you're banging your head against a wall. You have to you have to let go and let God do the work. And God will do the work. Now you need to be faithful, that's the other part of this. Right? You need to be faithful to be there to answer the questions to to witness. But you know you can't beat the gospel and the people and and them believe. You're just yeah you're just a catalyst. You know and God God uses you. No don't don't misunderstand. God uses you as the means whereby the gospel is preached. Right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, and the word there is not the word of God. It's a saying, a specific saying, specific truth. How does people come to know the Lord through specific truths that are proclaimed to them that God uses in that salvation process? But it's not you that does it, which means it's not you that prevents somebody from getting to heaven. I mean, for years, you know, I had people go on guilt trips. If you don't witness to that person and they die and go to hell, it's all your fault. Is it? No. If you're a prophet and God gives you a word to preach, that's different. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Ezekiel, right. who was given a personal commission by God to preach to the nation. They want to put people on massive guilt trips. Probably one of the best arguments against that is look at the ministry of Jesus. How did he minister to people? Was he was he high strung? 
Was he constantly worried that, you know, if, if I don't preach another sermon, all those people are going to go to hell? And it's my fault? Is that how he approached his ministry? He didn't have Prozac or Xanax back then, right? Didn't have any of that. How did Christ minister? He spoke in parables. He even hid truth, right? But the point is, Christ was not, you know, he was not an emotional wreck thinking that somehow, you know, if I don't preach another sermon today, it's my fault that those people don't hear. He preached what God, he did what God told him to do, right? He proclaimed the truth. He proclaimed the message. And this is interesting. When Nicodemus, did, I don't know if I said this in this class. I forget what class I say things in. So if I repeat myself, just go along with it and pretend like you didn't hear before. But Nicodemus, remember the story of Nicodemus? You must be born again. What did Nicodemus say? How do, how do I get in the kingdom? And Christ said, well, you got to be born again. Well, how do I do that? Do I go into my mother's womb again and be born again? <coughs> What did Christ say? Well, the wind blows where it blows. And so is the Holy Spirit. What's he trying to tell Nicodemus there? Did you do anything to get born? Anybody here have a hand in their own birth? Did you have a hand in your second birth? The Spirit blows where it wills. Now, did you believe? Sure you did. And why did you believe? Because the Holy Spirit blew in your heart. That's how you believe. And you had no more role in your spiritual birth than you did in your physical birth. God does, God does it. God does, and, 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 it's, and because it is him who's doing it, it does not depend on me. I can't prevent someone from being a believer any more than I can talk them into it. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to open the heart. My responsibility, and I'm going to be held accountable for it, is to be faithful to proclaim it, right? That's my responsibility. I'm to do that. But I can't live the rest of my life in constant fear that if I pass somebody on the street and I don't say, you must be born again and it's my fault that person goes to hell. Because if that's the case, we should all quit our jobs and do nothing but stand on the street corner and preach. And we shouldn't sleep because if we go to sleep, we might miss an opportunity to save someone, right? And if you want to take it to the absurd, absurd level. God is, Paul is teaching us here, Paul is telling us, True wisdom comes from God. He is the source of it. It's not us. And it's antithetical to the wisdom of the world. And James says that. There's a wisdom of the world and there's a wisdom from above. The wisdom of the world is earthly, sensual, and demonic. That's the wisdom of the world. It's earthy. What does it mean? It has to do with this life and this life only. It is sensual in what sense? It's centered around what's best for me, what's in it for me. And it's demonic. In what sense? It's demonic because it is, it is energized by the demonic deception of Satan. But the wisdom that is from above is peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of good works, without hypocrisy. It's God's wisdom that we want. And where do we get God's wisdom? How do you become wise? How do you become spiritually wise? The Word of God. Because how does God, the Holy Spirit, speak to you? Through the word of God. Um, it's interesting in, in Ephesians and Colossians, which are almost two mere books. I don't know if you knew that. About, 70, about half of the books are identical between the two. And in Ephesians it says, Let the Holy Spirit dwell with you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Then in Colossians it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. All right. So, in one, it's the Spirit which causes this, and the other one's the Word of God, Christ which causes this. So what is your conclusion about the Spirit and the Word of Christ? They're the same thing, right? Trigonometry, or 
geometry. Right? If angle A is equal to angle B, and angle A is equal to angle C, then angle B is equal to angle C. All right? The point is, by letting the Word of God dwell in you richly, it's equivalent to letting the Holy Spirit dwell in you. Because that is, this is where the Holy Spirit gives us the information. This is, this is the information we need, and the Holy Spirit brings it alive and helps us to understand it. As we immerse ourselves in the Word of God, we will walk in the Spirit. You cannot walk in the Spirit without being in the Word of God. It can't be done. You can't do it. And this is where it comes from. Any comments on this? We got through two chapters. That's pretty good, this class like this. Usually it takes about five weeks to get through two chapters. Right? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're only, we're sort of on schedule. And I, brethren, verse chapter 3, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but to carnal, as to babes in Christ. All right, I got to stop right here and, and, and just talk about this, this concept. This is going to pop up in this chapter here. All right. How many people have, have heard or have been taught about carnal Christians? Anybody hear that word? What is a carnal Christian? What's the definition of a carnal Christian that you've heard? Live a Christian living in sin, right? They're carnal. All right. And what is the intimation about a carnal Christian? How long can you be a carnal Christian? Long time. Long time, right? Long time. Um, I would suggest to you that the Bible does not know anything as a carnal Christian. If by that you mean a Christian living in a continued, unrepentant life of sin. Because what will happen... God will kill you. That's one way to get rid of it, right? What else will happen? You'll repent. You'll repent. Here's 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 the thing, and you know people get it from this passage. That's why I'm bringing this up. All right. They say, well, you know, um, I I remember somebody said, well, we went out and witnessed this today, and we met someone who um, who's a carnal Christian. Well, what's carnal? Well, why do you say that? Well, you know, they came to know the Lord about 25 years ago, but um, you know, they haven't been in church for you know over 24 years. Uh, do they read their Bible? Well, no, they don't read their Bible. Um, they don't. They don't go to church. Uh, they don't like other Christians. Uh, they, they, they're, they're indifferent to the things of, of God. Um, but you know, they, they remember going forward. So we gave them a verse on the assurance of their salvation. It's like, you know. What are they saying? What's intimated in that statement? You can be a Christian and have no fruit, right? Now, what did Christ say? Did Christ say you can be a Christian with no fruit? You realize the Holy Spirit that saves you transforms you, right? We're going to read it coming up. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, understand, we're not meaning that you are perfect, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about a direction. If I become, if I, if I want to come up and say, you know, I'm a Christian because 25 years ago I walked forward and signed a card and prayed a prayer. But in the meantime, I have no desire to be in church. I have no desire to be in the Word of God. I don't care about spiritual things. What's that say? Some say exactly that. I'm backslidden. I say, you're not a Christian. Right? But you are a true believer when you left. Yeah, you know, that's that's it. Can you? But but yeah. What well, well, did someday? But did but did one day it, it come 
it came clear one day. This, this is a very difficult topic we're talking about here. Because there are people that say, look, I, you, can come, you can become a Christian. Get them, get them to pray the prayer. And they're in. Wow. Okay. Now, you know, and whether they go to church the rest of their life, whether they read the Bible the rest of their life, whether they pray another prayer in their life is irrelevant. As long as they pray that, they're in. You got them. Is that necessarily true? How do you know you're a believer? If, so, if I come to you and say, why, why do you believe that you're a Christian? What would your answer be? Well, how do you how do you differentiate? It's, it's easy. The Bible tells you very clearly several by fruit. 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 So if I asked you, how do you know you're a Christian? What would be your response be? That's the answer. That is the answer. That's what the Bible says. See, that's not that hard, is it? The Bible says if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. It doesn't say perfect creation. It says you're a new creation in Christ. You're different. What do you think? I think some people fall in those categories. They get saved and they go home and get beat up. Some people say, oh, that's not true. That's not true. Well, you know, instead of, I'm not going to exegete the parable right here, but I will tell you this. I believe the parable teaches very clearly that there's only one soil that produced true believers. What soil is that? The good soil. Because what was the difference between the good soil and the others? And it's the only one that bore fruit. It's the only one that bore fruit. Your spiritual life should be something like this. It goes up, it goes down. You know, it's you know, you have all these valleys, but over the long haul, what do you see? You see some kind of upward trend. I I had that happen to me. I'm not I, I had that happen to me. I became a Christian at a very early age, you know, and I struggled. There are some years where I struggled, you know, but I was always, God always was there. I was always convicted of my sin. I always knew, even when I was doing wrong, I knew it was wrong. And You know, I had this. All of us had this, right? But though for those of our believers, it's, it goes up. There's a, there's a continuing maturity and if you ask me today alan how do you know you're a christian how do you know that my answer is i'm different i can remember being a child mm -hmm. and knowing god even getting older life takes you up and down but I, I can remember even though okay i always said i was a christian but i wasn't living a christian life so was i saved and in some cases, like your, your case and my case, I grew up in a Christian home. I always believed in Jesus. Really. I mean, I always believed in Jesus. But I remember there was a day when all of a sudden it made sense. That was when I was saved. Prior to that, I, I, you know, I, I believed in Jesus, but I wasn't saved. But one day, all of a sudden, it made sense. I understood it. I understood that I was a sinner. It made sense. I comprehended my guilt, and that was the day I became a true believer, when I was truly born again. And that was an event. I passed from death to life. That's an irreversible event. I don't go, I don't backslide back into death. Now, I may struggle and, you know, fits and fights, and, and but I'm going upward. I'm, I'm, I'm changing. That's the message of Peter. How do you know you're a believer? You're a believer because your life has changed. 
You are different. You don't think like you used to think. You don't have the same aspirations. And when you do sin, what happens? You're convicted. You know it's wrong. Can Christians fall into a pattern of sin for a period of time? Sure. How about David, right? Remember? <laughs> now, how was his life like during that time if he was in sin? He's miserable. And probably some of us in here remember some pretty miserable times of our spiritual life when, you know, God was chastening us. But who does God chasten? His kids or somebody else's kids? I'd like to chasten other people's kids sometimes, right? Yeah. Especially at Christmas when they're yelling in the line and smack them. We have to be careful, I think. I think there's a valid a validity there that God did not God did not put me on his planet to determine whether you are or aren't a Christian. I'm saying what does the Bible say? The Bible says if I'm a Christian, I am different. I have the Spirit of God within me. That's all I can tell the people. You know, as a pastor, if I was a pastor, all I could tell people is say, the Bible teaches if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. If you look at your life and you can see absolutely no evidence, zero evidence of any spiritual fruit, you need to ask yourself if you're truly born again. Well, the back to the carnal. I'll see Christians. I've been pastor for now. Mm -hmm. You'll see some blow up, come in. Working in the church, or when you see some families come and they just steady going to church, and the fruit of their Christianity is their commitment. Not extreme amount of growth. You'll see some Christians that will sing, and some guys, you know, they just stand there. And don't I don't them. sing because I'll chase all the people out around but me. They don't want to worship that way, just stand there. And then you'll see some guys, you know, they're more. I mean, so you would base I can't, yeah. the fruit of carnality or. All I can, you, you can't. You can't do that. That's not what, again, I, I can't go around, you know, judging people's spirituality. Well, you're an A Christian. You're a B Christian. Boy, you're a D Christian. You're just barely scraping through. I, that's not my responsibility. I'm not called to do that. I have enough problems working on my own <laughs> spiritual life, much less anybody else's. But fruit, of the, fruit is fruit of the Spirit, it is character. It is holy aspirations. All of that is fruit. I, I, I'm trying to what I'm trying to to to, to 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 raise an issue on is that there are there there are believers today who think there is a class of Christian, a class of existence called carnal Christian. People who came to know the Lord, but they have exhibited zero zilch, nada, no change in their life, but they're still in because they pray to prayer. And the Bible says you need to it says, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. That's coming up later on in Corinthians. Examine yourself. Because the mark of true salvation is a changed life. That's the mark. That's what truly sets you apart. Yes. Yeah, you are, you are different. You're not perfect. But you're different. Someone, and a little bit. Yeah, and what did John say? What did John say in First John? If you say you love God and hate your brother, you are a liar. If you say you love God, but you don't keep his commandments, you are a liar. Why? Because you're not a believer. You tell me, you show me a Christian who hates other Christians. I'll show you someone who probably isn't one. Because that's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit transforms you. He makes you different. You're not the same person. That's a work of Christ, the work of God in you. And what happens is when we fall in this trap of thinking people are just carnal Christians, that's a self-deluding kind of thing. Did Judas think he was in? Yeah. And what did the other disciples? They had no clue, right? Was he truly a believer? Never was. 
And what did John say in 1 John 2, 2? They went out from us because they weren't of us. The mark of true salvation, the mark of true regeneration is a changed life and a continuance in the faith. Now, is it possible that for a period of time you can become disobedient? Yes, and you're miserable. And what will eventually happen? You will come back. You will come back. The problem is there are people that have never come back and they've been out for 30, 40, 50 years. They have no inclination of coming back, but they think they're still a Christian because, hey, I'm a carnal Christian. I, I, I believe I'm saved, but I don't care about God and I don't care about obeying Him and I don't care about the Word of God and I don't care about spiritual things, but I'm in. Yeah. And what I'm saying is the Bible teaches that those who are truly born again exhibit that by their changed life. What did Christ say? If you are my true disciples, you will continue in my word. What does it mean to backslide? I'm, what I'm trying. My opinion would be for me to backslide would be to walk away from the church and make a life without this living. All right. And how, how would you feel if you did that? How would you feel if you did that? All right. A traitor. Right. And why would you feel like a traitor? Why else? Because you have, I assume, the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, if you walked away and you didn't care and you could give a rip and it doesn't matter to you any, and it doesn't, then what would you assume? Or what should I assume? You're not. And, in fact, and, this, and the reason I say that is this. Is it going to hurt to treat a believer as an unbeliever? Is that going to eternally damage them in any way? No, probably make them feel bad, right? Ain't going to damage them. What happens if you treat an unbeliever as a believer? That's worse, right? Look, all I'm saying, you know, we're getting a, you know, we have, you know, a lot of, well, you know, I can't judge people. I can't, I can't. That's true. I can't see the halos on your heads in here. Um, I, I don't. I don't see the E on your forehead that you're elect or not elect. I don't see that. All I say is the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. If I look at your life and I can see absolutely no evidence, zero zilch evidence, that there is any change in your life, my only conclusion can be, you're probably not a Christian. How do they feel about that? They didn't feel terrible. But 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 you but you have it. But what I'm saying is you're having an upward progression. You're going upwards. You're struggling. We all struggle in here. Good night. You know, we all struggle with things. Yeah, some aren't some aren't making as up as fast as others, but you're you're going up. Yeah, you're going upwards. It's different for different people. You you bet it is. But it's there. What I'm saying is if if I look somebody and there is no I can't find any evidence that there's any sanctification going on, any difference, any change in attitude, any change in worldview, any change in holy aspirations. It's, I'm doing them a disfavor by making them say, well, you're a Christian because you walked forward in church 20 years ago. And what I'm saying, and what I'm, what I'm going to get at, what we're going to talk about even more, Matthew verse 1 of 3, is, is carnal Christian as a, as, an, as a permanent state of existence is unknown in Scripture. A Christian can act carnally. Right? Of course you can. But you can't stay there as a permanent state of existence. That's what I'm trying to get at. All right, well, then I messed it up. There are people that act, every, any one of us in here at any moment in time can act very carnally. 
Yeah, it usually happens about 3 a.m. when I'm called in the computer and there's something wrong and I'm yelling at my, and I'm glad my wife can't hear me. Oh, my God, she can't hear what I'm saying. because it, Or when I got lost in New York City and couldn't find my way off the, I'm going down the wrong way street having people yelling at me and all this stuff. It's midnight in Manhattan and I can't figure out how to get off the stupid island. I was not, I was not happy. And it's a good thing I don't have a recording of that. All right. Um, we all we all do that. We can yeah, we can act carnally at any moment in time, but as a continuing permanent state of existence, you can't stay there because God is either going to chasten you with death, or He's going to draw you back to Him. You're not. He's not going to. God's not going to say, "Okay, well, I saved you. You're in." But you know what? I don't. I don't care what you do the rest of your life. You know, live the way you want. Doesn't matter to me. Why did God save you? What did James say? Did God save you so that you could just live your own life and do your own thing? God saved you for good works. God saved you to transform you. God didn't, you know, I love, I, I use this illustration, you know, those detergent commercials on TV, you know. The little kid comes in, he's full of mud, you know, mom takes his clothes and washes them. And they come out really nice and clean. You see him bouncing out the door again. Guess where he's going? Back to get dirty again. Is that why God saved you? God brought you in. Gave you a new set of clothes, washed you up, cleaned you up, said, okay, now go back and play in the mud. Doesn't matter because you're in now. Right? But yet, that is the mentality that some Christians have. If I come to know the Lord and I make a commitment or faith or whatever, I'm in. Doesn't matter what I do. Doesn't matter how I live. Doesn't matter what sin I fall into. And that's, that's one of the things that Paul has to really beat on with the Corinthians because what atmosphere were they in? They were in a very sinful atmosphere and one of the, the major philosophies of the day was matter is evil, spirit is good, you can't control your body so just let it go and do what you want. Doesn't matter anyways because hey you're in, you're a Christian and churches are full of people that think because they show up once a year at Christmas or Easter and you know they, they walk and they forward or they threw that pine cone in the fire at Patmos or whatever it is, they're in, they're a Christian you know they're, they're there and God is saying, and Paul is saying, and the Bible is saying, if you're in Christ, you are different. You're not perfect. You're different. And that's the, that's the evidence of salvation. When you look back and say, you know, I'm more godly today than I was 10 years ago. And I am. Now, why is that? Because me? No. Because of God. And I, I used the illustration before, you know, there are things on television now that I cannot watch that I used to be able to watch and not have any trouble with. Why? Same show. I'm different. I'm different. And, and if, you know, given enough time, there's probably going to, it's probably going to be more stuff like that coming along. Things that I used to be able to do and now I, I just can't do them. I just don't feel right. It's an upward progression. And, and that's, that's the message that Paul's trying to get through the Corinthians here in chapter 3. If you are in Christ, 3, 4, and 5, he's working on this. If you're in Christ, you are different. And we are really doing people a disservice in the body of Christ by making them think, if you come forward and pray this prayer, never doubt it again, you're in. I can't do that. There's only one person that can give you the assurance of your salvation, and it is not your pastor. It is the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It is God the Holy Spirit. And if I try to talk you into the fact that you're a Christian, and, well, you know, I remember, you know, when you were five years old, you threw a pine cone in the fire, and you commit, you're a Christian, don't ever doubt that. Look, you're doing a message service. That's not your role. That's not your responsibility. And all you can do is say, the Bible says, if you're a believer, you are different. You're not the same old thing you used to be. God did not save you to leave you where you're at. So, so but if you, if you look at Romans 10, and you look at the Bible, and you look at Romans 10, Paul is talking about justification. Is justification a point in time event? Absolutely it is. But what does God do when you're justified? Yeah. God 
makes you alive. I told you I can't draw. All right? You're, you're laying on a slab. You're dead. You're dead, right? This is a slab. This is a morgue, you know, whatever. You're dead. There's nothing you can do. You're not going to get off the slab. You're going to decide to walk out of there. You are dead. And God makes you alive. God transforms you. God gives you new life. Are you now the same as you were when you were dead? No, you're alive now. God's transformed you. That's work of the Holy Spirit. And why did God save you? Did God, and this, this is the thing that James is saying, why did God go to all the trouble to send his son to die on the cross to redeem you from your sin, only to tell you, go ahead and sin, it doesn't matter because now you're in. That's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's asininic to think that. God did not save you so that you can go and sin because it doesn't matter anymore. God saved you because he wanted to redeem you and make you holy. And he's going to give you the power to do that. It's the Holy Spirit that energizes your ability to do that. And you are different. You're not the same old. I'm starting to preach now. See, I got off my chair and I'm starting to make... Yeah, big broad gestures. And I, I say this because it is very important that we understand this as believers. God changes me. I don't change myself. God changes me, and there is a difference. And that is where my assurance of salvation comes from. Because when I look back at my life and I see I'm different than I was, praise God, he's done a work. And he gets all the credit. I don't. We'll catch up. Don't worry. Yeah. No. We can be 99.997. Pardon? We can't be certain. I don't know. I don't know 100% for certain that any of you in here are saved. I got a pretty good line on a bunch of you. Right? But do I, can I know for certain? I can't. God can. I can't. I can't do that. All I can say is, is I look at your life, I can say, you know, well, you know, I see Augusto here, you know, and he's, he's, he has the joy of the Lord in him. He loves the Lord. You know, he comes here and puts up with me yelling at him for 14 weeks a semester. And, and he's in the word of God and he's ministering in his church. And, you know, all of those, that's all. He, he shows a love and a thirst and an understanding for God's word. That's all evidences that he, he is born again. So I'm I'm pretty sure about him. Now Bart, I'm still working on. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. He's taxes, you know. And the lawyers, I mean, I'm still I'm still struggling there, you know, you know. But the whole point the whole point is, you're right. As and God has not called you to do that. That's the important thing. I can't go around saying you're in, you're not, you're in, you're not, you're in, you're not. I don't know that. That's not a spiritual gift either. That is not. But what I have to do is when I am teaching through the word of God and I am talking to people, all I can say, well, the Bible says if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Therefore, I guess if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're different. You're not what you used to be. And if you're still what you used to be and there's no change and there's no difference and there's there's nothing that would indicate. Only I can assume is you never were a Christian to start out with. And that's what John says in First John. They went out from us. They weren't of us. How about Simon Magus? Remember, he believed. He got baptized. He's part of the church, right? And then uh, Peter shows up. They speak in tongues. And what's the first thing he wants to do? Well, I want to buy that trick. That's a cool one. I can make some money off that. And Peter says, you're not a Christian. You're not a believer. You better pray and Hope that God grants you repentance because you're not. The guy was baptized. He signed the card. He walked down the aisle. I mean, they can. And and what's the what's the what's? They may not even be aware of it themselves. They may not even be aware of it themselves. What about the tears? Remember, what's the parable of the tears? What's the message there? They look they look like a Christian. You know, I. Well, I can't tell the difference, but but what what gives it away ultimately? The wheat produces the fruit, the tares doesn't. And when do they get separated? And who does the separation? Christians? The angels do this. God does the separating because I don't know the difference. 
I don't know the difference. And it's not my responsibility to know the difference. And that's why the Bible says examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. It doesn't say examine everybody else if they're in the faith. Examine yourself whether you be in the faith. Look at your own heart. Worry about yourself. See how we have a fun? Now, now we're getting into the fun part of class. We're getting fun. All right. Well, we better. I'm five minutes over. Nobody's got their. You know, usually everybody's got their books packed up and they're heading out the door by now. You know? All right. Well, let's close in prayer and we'll pick up next week. Father, thanks so much for this time and for being here and, and showing us this. And I pray that uh, all of us would examine ourselves, whether be we be in the faith. And I pray that we would have the assurance that we know you, not, not because we did something or because we said something, but because we look at our lives and say, you know, there's a difference there. I'm not what I used to be. And it's not me that's And we just thank you for this opportunity to study and pray that you would help us to ponder what we do. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.